It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And what's up? Welcome in GC Live, West Mitchell, Chris Clark, Monday episode of the show. Of course, diving into South Carolina versus Florida and what happened. That's the big question. What happened as the Gamecocks fall by two points to Florida after having a 10-point lead into the fourth quarter of this game? We're going to talk about that and more. Of course, we'll dive into the commitment of DeLewis Solomon Maybe get into a little other recruiting talk as well. But first, this show is brought to you by our buddy Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933. If you're buying a home in the state of South Carolina and you want somebody to uh, get you the absolute best interest rate you can get, if you want them to kind of talk you through what various products are out there, certainly if you're a first-time home buyer, uh, you're going to want somebody like Clint who has a great deal of experience and uh, can help walk you through this process. He did the same for me. He can do the same for you. Call him today. More information, clintonhammond.com, 803-771-6933. Chris, um, we got to talk about it, man. The uh, The title of this episode is What Happened? <laughs> so, yeah. what happened? Whew. What a game that was, right? Um roller coaster up and down and Wes honestly when South Carolina went up this is how much of a roller coaster I think it was when they went up 10 you felt good looked like they're about to go up 11 they go up 10 saw some people start to kind of mentally uh chalk this one up as a win somebody around me in the stadium and funny I saw a post on the insiders forum that references the exact thing and I'm wondering if the person was near me or if it just happened in multiple locations in Williams-Brice, which is possible. Lady around us said, too early, too early for that. Fast forward a few minutes, Wes. Florida scores. South Carolina punts the ball to Florida, and you get kind of an ominous feeling of, I don't know if they're going to be able to stop the Gators. And then they, of course, ended up having every opportunity to do so and could not get off the field. So, that is the very, very broad level overview, and I know we have to go a lot deeper into the why. There, there was some good in this game. There was some bad in this game. Honestly, you could have kept about the same level of both of those, and South Carolina still could have, should have won this game. They did not. Florida made a few more plays in this game. Credit them. South Carolina had too many mistakes in order to win it. So a lot more to dive in uh, beyond that, I'd say. Yeah, the uh, I will say this when I, I don't know how many people it was. I, I don't know the number. When the Gator Chomp got busted out by South Carolina fans throughout the stadium, everybody who wasn't doing the Gator Chomp was going, What what are you what are you doing? I'll do that. Yeah. Far, far too early to bust out the Gator Chomp. And frankly, and I know it was a good portion of the student section. Maybe y'all are freshmen. Maybe you haven't seen it. You got to know. The way this game had played out with both offenses actually going up and down, up and down the field. It felt like South Carolina had finally given themselves some distance in the score to, to then put the game away. But the game was by no means over. Anybody that watched how that game played out, it was, I mean, this is a legitimate shootout throughout the game. And it was one of those games, Chris, I feel like when you're watching it from the home team's perspective, like you're watching it, if you're a South Carolina fan, which if you're listening to this, you probably are. If you're watching it from the standpoint of South Carolina media, you feel like, or at least I did, for most of this game, I felt like South Carolina was going to win the game. 
And now you look back, if you were watching this from a neutral observer standpoint, you would probably be saying these are two very tight. These, these football teams are very close. And this is a very close football game. I looked up there at one point. Not only – it was after a drive. I don't remember which one. The score was close, and the total yardage – this was, like, l- pretty late in the game. The total yardage was, was within one yard. So, you know, this is a game throughout the contest that it could have gone either way. And I do feel like once you finally get to 10, because it had been so back and forth the whole way, you kind of breathe a little bit. Um, yep. But you don't bust out the Gator Chunk. That's not why South Carolina lost the game. The Gamecock fans, as they always do, they showed up. They showed out. It was a great atmosphere. It was a sellout. It was loud. They got up on third downs. They got up on fourth downs. They, you know, they brought the noise. So it's not in any means South Carolina fans' fault. But when the Gator Chomp went off, I was like, eh. A little bit too early. But, all right, let, let's dive into the game itself because there's a lot to hit on. Um, Travis saying two evenly matched teams. Winning team made the plays in crucial moments. Agreed. And um, the other reason there was really no separation in this game was that there were no turnovers during, like, the kind of back and forth of the matchup. Like, we, we know yeah. there was – look at the box score. There's an interception. There's a late pick. Uh, you know, at the end of the game from Rattler. But throughout the actual flow of this game, neither side was turning the ball over. Um, much to sort of the normal, I would say, identity of these two offenses, Florida was much more, like they were kind of the more consistent offense, I felt like, during the game as far as like putting together some drives, staying on the field. Florida got, as the game progressed, Florida forced a couple more punts, but South Carolina was scoring touchdowns. Florida was kicking field goals. So those two things, you know, Carolina punted a few more times, but it evened out by scoring touchdowns um, instead of field goals. Florida had scoring opportunities on just about every single drive they had. They punted twice. Um, But you're forcing several field goals along the way. But it's just even, man. It's close. I I feel like this this is why you probably felt comfort if you were a South Carolina fan. And uh, y'all bear with me here. I want to get the box score pulled back up. I had it up earlier. But we talked about this on the radio show, Chris. So it's going to be repeat stuff here if you heard it already. But I think it's a different crowd for the most part. If you said going in, based on what we know about South Carolina so far this year, if you said this offense was getting that sort of supplement from the running game that South Carolina got against Florida, I don't want to say South Carolina is going to beat every team they play when they do that. But for the most part, I go into games thinking if the running game is going and Rattler's doing what we know he can do, which he did, then South Carolina is going to have a good shot to win their games at home. Yeah. So. If you told me South Carolina had 33 rushes for 152 yards and a touchdown, and that doesn't even include taking out sacks at that point, you know, and then you told, and I said, hey, Rattler, Rattler's going to do what Rattler's done pretty much all year long 23 of 30, 313 yards, four touchdowns. If you told me that, and you told me that Leggett was Leggett, Trey Knox continues to find his role, I feel like. We've seen that the last two games. Knox has really started to become maybe what we thought he was going to be when South Carolina landed him. And then if I said, or you told me, hey, Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne, they were okay. They had some plays. They didn't take over the game. And they combined for 99 yards. So Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne, they combined for the exact day that Mario Anderson had, like almost literally. Mm-hmm. 20 carries for 99 yards for them, 20 carries for 98 yards for Mario Anderson. <laughs> if, if you had that box score sitting in front of you and the game, you knew the game was in Columbia, 
I'd have said South Carolina wins all day. Easy. But Florida, to their credit, let's not remove the credit from the Gators either. To their credit, they made more plays down the stretch to win the game than South Carolina did, even though they were the team fighting from behind. They they kind of needed about eight plays during a stretch where South Carolina just needed one to get them off the field and to win the game. Yeah, and I think you can look at all the different stuff that happened. I mean, you look at the the one ball that went off Ricky Pearsall's hands lands right in Trey Wilson's hands, you know, almost like the uh, wasn't the same play because it didn't go for a touchdown, but it was, it was like the, that Auburn Georgia catch, you know, from years ago, like guy just catches it in stride, you know, the just a reception back in the day. Yeah. Then you've got, Two fourth downs, and those are the ones that are going to be the toughest to swallow. West is the the two fourth down conversions. You know, one of them, I think you had a third and five. You got a penalty, um, and so you've got a fourth and eleven. You get everything that you want, barring, you know, if you take out an interception, a fumble, a set, like if the ball gets completed or if the ball gets handed off you got the play that you would want. And that is the quarterback having to bail from the pocket, having to get the ball, get rid of the ball quickly and throwing it into the, throwing it to the flat, not to a running back, not to a receiver, but to a tight end and a very talented tight end, by the way, in Arliss Boardingham. But you get a quick ball to the flat to a tight end and you don't make the tackle. Where if you do almost anything else, and that's just a eight yard gain, a nine-yard gain, a ten-and-three-quarters-yard gain, you're off the field there, and it's going to be very difficult for the Gators to come back. And then you go to the other fourth down, west, where you've got a fourth and ten from Florida's own 25, and you convert that. Gamecocks did a lot of the things that if you were coming up with the formula to, hey, how could you win this game, they did a lot of those things, kind of similar to Mississippi State. You limit the run game. They really limited it against Mississippi State. They shut it down, 27 yards for Woody Marks. Here you didn't completely shut it down, but you turned it into a throw game. You made Graham Mertz beat you, and I think you made a great point on the radio earlier, Wes. You're banking on Graham Mertz not coming through time and time again when you do that. To his credit, he did. South Carolina helped him at times, right, by leaving guys open. He made some great throws. You had some good fortune on some throws. You missed some tackles on some throws. So kind of a lot of those different things stacked up. But you you slowed the run game down. Um, you made it into a throw game. You put them in some difficult situations. Um, and they just continued coming through, you know. Um, yeah, it's th- th- there's a lot of different directions we could continue to take this because there's so much to unpack. But I think it kind of did remind me of the Mississippi State game from that standpoint. Difference in that one is – you know, South Carolina, they did have the one turnover late in the game, ended the game, kind of officially killed off their chances. But you turned it into a throw game like you wanted to. They just made too many plays. And they gave them too many opportunities to score overall, Wes. I mean, you can't run 86 defensive plays. You can't give them, what did you say, nine scoring opportunities. That's simply too many. And while you did do a good job against the run, Four of 15, I think it was, on third down defense. That's another area you really wanted to improve. The flip side, three of four on fourth down. Three of those were on – three of those conversions came on the two drives in the fourth quarter that ended up putting Florida ahead. Yeah, it it didn't feel like four of 15 on third down either, to be honest. But, hey, the numbers are – they are. They – Credit there, but then when you have the chance to get further off the field, you, you got to do it, right? And and then also, man, I, I think you you just hope, I feel like as a defense, that you can get off the field a little bit earlier in drives. You know, so many of these drives where they're forcing a fourth down, Florida's kicking a field goal as opposed to punting. Now, at credit due, you know, they, they hit a 54-yarder. Like, they had a very – 
talented kicker. They took well advantage of that. They got their points. Um, and so, you know, that, that kind of is what it is. But uh, sorry, I'm getting distracted seeing a few questions coming in. We're, we're going to hit on these. Um, some of them we, we have some answers to. Uh, Gamecock Chuck asking why Nick was covering their best receiver. Was that our best option? Um, I'll, I'll get to that here in a second. But, Chris, let's go – because you brought it up, let's go back to the missed tackle. And in this case, we're talking about, of course, the it's fourth down, throw the ball short, throw the ball very short of the sticks. One-on-one situation. Carolina defender misses the tackle. Next Florida guy gets a nice little block to help spring this thing to where there wasn't as much help rallying to the ball in this play as you would like. But the missed tackle in the situation obviously ended up just being a killer for South Carolina. I think the reason why that one's probably so frustrating for fans and for coaches is the fact you had so much ground there to still give. And so I understand if it's, if it's fourth and three and you know, you're the last line of defense before a first down, I'm okay with my guy kind of flying in there a little bit out of control and saying, I got to get to the spot and I'm either going to blow him up or he's going to make me miss and get the first down. But I've at least given myself a chance to make the stop. The difficult part of that, about swallowing that play is that you kind of lose your situational football there. You're still playing the sticks, even when you're the sticks are at this point 10 yards behind you. So I, I thought I, I thought he lost leverage you had the sideline as an additional defender you got to just kind of break down yeah and be under control in that play and i i certainly i understand these things happen like in milliseconds crowd is going nuts you're saying i'm gonna go make a play i'm gonna go make a play i'm gonna go make a play so i get it but it's just, that play is going to be circled over and over and over because you had a chance to get off the field. And you kind of got – it felt like the emotions took over as opposed to just the technique of, hey, I got to know my down and distance. I got to know my situation. There's not three defenders around here to help me if I try to blow this thing up and miss. Your job at that point is to break down – slow him down, do everything you can, use the sideline as another defender, kind of leverage it that direction, and then give either get him to the ground or give your guys time to get to you. Um, so I, I think that's why that one burns so bad. Is yeah. Because nobody wants to watch their team give up a fourth and long when the ball is completed that far from the sticks. Yeah, you, you got what you wanted there. I mean, imagine if that was your play, right? And Boardingham gets forced out of bounds or tackled after five yards or six. The Gators fans are probably ticked. You know, reverse that if you're South Carolina. Really, that's what we, the game on the line. We got pressured and we threw a ball to our tight end on the in the flat. Right. It's a different story, though, because you missed the tackle. And and now it's just a oh, great individual play. You know, hey, making plays when it counts. So I, I don't have I didn't have a problem with the defensive call there. I think you got what you wanted. Again, you've got a quarterback throwing it faster than he wants on fourth down, fourth and 11, throwing it short of the sticks in the flat to a tight end. And you've got a guy there. And all you have to do is make that play. Now, I. You know, Wes, this is this is one of those, and I'm going to sound like a football coach in the locker room or something. They didn't lose the game because of that play, right? They played 86 plays of defense in this game, 
and there were a whole bunch of them that weren't good, right? Um, you had some some funky things happen. You had, even though they didn't run the ball very well, you had some runs that popped out. You had some missed opportunities to get more pressure or a sack. You had some guys running open down the field. You had some nice one-on-one efforts by Florida. You had a lot of different things. But just in that situation, you know, that is an example and probably the best example in this game of when the game's on a line, you do, you've got to make that play there, right? And I think it's a different type of play than, you know, Trey Wilson catching a ball off a bobble and and just here it is, gift. Um, It's a different play than Ricky Pearsall's game-winning touchdown where you're in man coverage and you run a really nice route and you beat your guy and the quarterback has a little time and makes a great throw. Different type of play than that because here, you know, you got kind of exactly what you wanted uh, and didn't come through. So, yeah, that, that one will be talked about a lot for sure. But, man, it is it is one and maybe the most notable in a lot of different opportunities that South Carolina had. And, again, this is one of those games, I think, Wes, you put, you put this one a lot more on the defense than the offense. I mean, so South Carolina scored 39 points, right? They scored 37 against Mississippi State. Your past two games, you scored 37 and 39 at home. Yeah. I think most people would sign up for that. Then you consider they're missing four starting offensive linemen after Vershawn Lee went out. They don't have Juice Wells. There's not much of a running game, right? Like you're getting what you need offensively. We can nitpick. They needed more out of their final drive that they had to punt on. You you get a first down or two late in that game. We might not be talking about Ricky Pearsall. You know, might not be talking about a fourth down conversion again. We might not be talking about Ricky Pearsall's game winning touchdown. But the offense, in my book, did more of what it needed to where it should not have come down to a couple fourth down conversions. It should not have come down to them needing to ice the game by getting a couple first downs. Uh, They weren't perfect on special teams. You know, I just think defensively, if you're kind of picking the phases of the game, that's the area where you had, I think, the most alarm and concern coming out of the game. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, like you said, offense was not perfect, but no. No, no offense is, and then with for the reasons you mentioned, for I mean, this was about literally if you told me, and let's say thirty-seven points, just for you take away the t- the tack on two two point conversion at the end, thirty-seven points with what this group has dealt with against another SEC defense. Like I don't think Florida is some um, loaded SEC defense, like top elite. But I don't think they're scrubs either, man. Like this is a this is a defense that at times has looked ripped. Like they have talent. If if you'd have told me coming in, hey, South Carolina put up thirty seven, really non fluke points. This was not pick six. This was not you got three turnovers from short field position. That you know to me that matters. Like you can look at the final points all you want, but really how how did you score those points? This was, for the most part, the offense driving down the field, running it and throwing it, and then Rattler just being Rattler on some of these plays, man. I didn't I didn't realize till I – I mean, I realized it, but I had kind of forgotten until I've, I've been trying to go back over the game today. He made a lot of great decisions on extending plays, uh, knowing when to tuck it and run to get first downs or to get positive yardage. I mean, this dude is playing at a super, super high level, and you just hate that it another great start got wasted, um, you know, by by losing the game. But I, I think, yes, every being we're talking about this, every offensive staff, every coaching staff practices the four minute <laughs> offense. You want to finish the name of the game is to finish the game with the ball in your hands. Like you want to be able to just run out the clock. However, the, your opponent knows you're going to be skewed towards running the ball and keeping the clock moving. Your opponent at this point has an entire game's worth of film of what you've what you've been doing. And I mean, we see it all the time is that that last first down that's like the put away first down. It's kind of like in baseball when you're the last three outs are the toughest 
because you know you're going to get absolute focus from your opponent. The last first down for an offense is the absolute hardest to get because the defense is just going to sell out against the run and be uber aggressive. So, yeah, you wanted that. Would that have helped them win the game? Of course. But I think the frustrating part, man, like you talked about, the dial, you know, dial missed tackle. That one play did not lose the game. But you can circle like 10 plays late in the game, and you can say if South Carolina would have just made one of them. Like, they didn't have to make all of them. Yeah, just one. Just one of them. Um, then we're having a completely different conversation about where things are right now. Um, and, and you can't do the what-if game because you can what-if any football game. So it's not a moral victory by any means. But it just goes to show you the, the difference, <laughs> the margin here, Chris, between – Winning and losing, when you're talking SEC, you're talking two close football teams, and there are no turnovers to really skew it one way or the other. Yeah, to go back to your point as well, Wes, on South Carolina's uh, scoring drives, right? 75 yards, 75 yards, 75 yards. That was their three uh, touchdowns in the first half all 75-yard drives, that a 66-yard field goal drive, a 72-yard touchdown drive, a 69-yard touchdown drive, right? So they're they're earning those, those touchdowns, not coming on short fields. This team's not had great field position for most of the year. The, the, one, the one kind of nitpick you could say, Wes, is that when they were punting the ball, so their first, their first punt, five plays, two yards now they they end up getting actually a really good punt that was bombed and georgia went 82 yards and scored right but their next punt five yards five plays six yards um three plays four yards on another punt four plays 20 yards so you pointed this out earlier on some of the drives what another close thing you know in a game like this field position matters so they were a little bit feast or famine. They're either scoring on lengthy drives and looking very impressive, or they're punting the football. And instead of having a, you know, six, eight play drive, they're not getting much real estate. On the other side, defensively, South Carolina, you know, allowed way too many scoring opportunities for Florida, but you're getting yourself in a tough position there because. You know, you're letting them drive down the field, so you're keeping your defense on the field for – it ended up being 86 plays throughout the course of the game. It's way too many. And if you give a, a football team that has talent that many chances, as Shane Beamer pointed out, Saturday night, Sunday night, and you're asking your guys to play that man coverage that much, they're going to make some plays. And so I think that is a <laughs> – let's go back to problem symptom, Wes. Yeah. As being pointed out, yes. Hey, how about all the plays that the nickel safety corners, et cetera? How about they did make a bunch of plays in man coverage? Sure, they, they made some in the game, but they also lost out on some. And you're going to give up some, including some big ones, when you're playing that many snaps. So, what is the actual problem? Well, you're playing 86 snaps. You've got to get off the field some. You can't give them that many chances over and over. At West, man, I'm just sitting here going through the game summary, actually, on ESPN. And the, these, I mean, I can't imagine how nauseating this was for the staff and players to watch back. I mean, the fourth and 10, again, from the 25, when Florida's down three, Mertz has to bail the pocket. Mm-hmm. And he throws, basically, he's just throwing the ball down the field to Pearsall, who's in, you know, he's, in-man coverage, comes back to the ball, makes a contested catch, you know. You go back to that other fourth down. He has to bail the pocket, make a throw, one-on-one. You miss a tackle. This is a tough one, man. The, the more I go back and, and look at it and study it, the the tougher – I think this is one of the tougher ones to swallow uh, for Gamecock fans probably that I've that I've seen in a while. Yeah, the, the other thing that has stood out to me, Chris, also 
again, credit where it is due, is the game that Mertz played. Um, yes. It's very easy to look at this from a South Carolina perspective and say, you know, secondary this, secondary that, defense it. Mertz, Mertz avoided some of those th- where we look at it and say, hey, you had a free rusher or you had a guy there to make attack. I mean, credit to those guys. Like, that's the best I've ever yeah. seen Graham Mertz play. And you can say, well, uh, you know, South Carolina defense let him play that way. Some of these are just big boy plays, honestly, frankly. Like, re-watching it, he did a phenomenal job of navigating the pocket, stepping up. Carolina got to him a few times, of course. But other times, um, you know, he's not a runner, but he's nimble enough and seems to improved seems to have improved a ton since the early part of his career at just kind of feeling the pressure around him and knowing when to step up into the pocket and just get forward. He made a couple of throws at other points of the game where he's moving up into the pocket and throwing the ball uh, without his feet set. And, you know, just it, we maybe have underestimated his ability because, like I said earlier, like you mentioned here in this show, when you say make this guy beat you, you're really saying, I don't think he can do it. And in this case, literally with the game on the line, he went out there and did it. Uh, so Flor- Florida, I haven't been to their message boards. They're probably sitting there saying, dang, Graham Mertz, what a heck of a comeback yeah. victory. This guy led us out of the depths to go win. Yeah. So, um, you know, we try to look at both sides. I, I think the frustration for South Carolina fans is just kind of seeing the secondary um, – the numbers the secondary has given up, um, not just this one game, but uh, fairly consistently when they face quarterbacks and receivers who are, are good. And, uh, you know, so I think that's the frustration right now from South Carolina fans. Uh, let's see. We, we got a lot more to get to, man, but let's try to break this thing up. And uh, want to tell everybody out there about our buddy Trey and how they can follow him on all the socials at Trey Helps. Yeah, at Trey Helps on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have not heard us talk about Trey, that is our friend Trey Harrell, recently voted the best personal injury attorney by the readers of the Post and Courier. So great honor for Trey, even greater honor for his past and future clients because they know they're getting outstanding representation. Trey Harrell is an auto accident attorney right here in the great state of South Carolina. Great guy, very helpful guy. And if you follow him on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, at Trey Helps, going to give you some interesting legal tips and just some interesting things about the auto accident uh, industry, really. Insurance companies, all that good stuff. Trey Harrell helps folks injured in auto accidents all over Gamecock country, all over the state of South Carolina. So obviously we hope that you are never injured in an auto accident or anybody that you know. But if you are, if you know somebody who has been, Make sure you don't go at it alone. Find you an attorney who's going to fight for you, who's going to fight to get what you deserve. Find you an attorney who helps. Remember that Trey helps. That's Trey helps on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, or visit his website, attorneyharrell.com. Appreciate Trey Harrell helping us bring you GC Live a couple times a week. All right, man, let's continue this conversation. Um Let's, let's stay with defense for a little bit longer, I guess. Yeah. Is the pass rush getting a pass as far as – I'm not saying from like – I'm not saying they should be. I'm saying are, is everybody, is the collective Gamecock Nation putting a little too much on the DBs and not talking as much as maybe it should be about the other half, like rushing cover is a thing. Yeah. They're always married together. And, you know, we, we as a collective cannot sit there and I'm guilty too. When I see defensive backs playing off against Georgia and why you got this cushion, you can't sit there and say as a group and agree, Oh man, way too. um, Way too passive on defense. Why don't they send more pressure? Why aren't they blitzing? We even, you know, and not to pick on somebody, 
Somebody in the comments earlier today said, you can't send pressure when you know they're throwing the ball. I think it's the exact opposite. If you know they're throwing, you better be sending, you better be getting some type of pressure there. But to me, we we saw South Carolina try to be a little more aggressive defensive. Like it felt like they were sending guys all game long. Like they were sending them for all angles. And uh, at times it got picked up. Other times Mertz got out of there. Other times they got there. Other times you have a free rush and you miss. Um, but if we're going to be aggressive and send pressure as a defense, you have to get there because you are putting your guys on islands. So you're, you're going to have these busts from time to time. Or they really weren't even busts. That's the absolute wrong word. You're going to get beat. Just one-on-one, just that that's that's football. Sometimes the receiver wins, sometimes the DB wins. If you're in one-on-one, mono mano, both sides are going to win from time to time. So when you're being aggressive, which we all say we want, myself included, we all want you to send pressure. But if you do, you got to get there. No? Yeah. No, you're right, and I think it's just – it's kind of like the psychological disposition that we have, maybe a predisposition might be the right word, to offense, right? You were talking about this earlier today and how maybe the Gamecock defense in the court of public opinion has at times over the past two years, two and a half years now, gotten a pass because people were so hyper-focused on the offense so hyper-focused on getting shut out offensively or just underperforming offensively. And, man, it seems like we've got these weapons. Why are we not better on offense? And you just kind of shut out the defense a little bit. Like, people talked about it, but if you were to go commission a study on, like, pull social media posts, pull posts from the Insiders Forum, talk to people, when you came out of a game that was a South Carolina loss, it was more often than not, talk about the offense, right? The offensive line, running the ball, play calling, et cetera, et cetera. You heard that a lot more. And I think it's kind of similar, Wes, when we're talking about pressure up front, right? Um, it, it just, when you see a ball go in the air and you see somebody catch ball and there's either a defender not around or there is a defender around, uh, but not close enough to make a play, you're going to say, oh, well, that guy got beat. Well, what happened up front? And I think we can answer this in part by let's go back to what Shane Beamer said on Sunday during his teleconference. You know, he clarified some comments that he made after the game. It is evident that he, he at least is of the opinion <clears throat> going back and watching the film from the game. Again, Saturday, he hasn't studied the film, right? He, he's going in there pretty much right after the game. Yes, he's noted some things. Yes, he watched the game live. But I've gone back and watched the film. Sunday teleconference, 6.15 p.m. every week. They have watched the game back multiple times. And he was of the opinion that sometimes they were not getting home with their pressures. So when they're, play, when they're pressuring, they're also playing man coverage a lot of the time. And we can have you know deeper conversations about scheme and all those different things. But it's 100% had an effect. I mean, I think there's a lot of different – ways you can take this conversation it can be personnel hey should South Carolina try something different at nickel we've we've already seen them do that multiple times this year should they be calling different you know more zone for instance should they be doing that well maybe so I mean I think it's a fair conversation to have Graham Mertz did do a pretty good job under pressure looking at some numbers here Wes so this is PFF when he was not blitzed he completed 68% of his passes for 207 yards and a touchdown. When he was blitzed, it went down 55.6, 15 of 27. But then he threw two touchdowns, no picks. Um, trying to see when he – he was under pressure for just 11 attempts, and he was kept clean 39, 38 attempts, according to PFF. So – Let's take that doesn't the match. That doesn't match my memory, but I mean, it doesn't match mine either. So what? What is kept? You know, do they count under pressure when he kind of bails the pocket like somewhat early, 
I don't know. Let's say it's a little bit more than that. I think we can agree. Not under pressure enough. Especially when you're blitzing a pretty good amount. Like, according to these numbers, he was blitzed 27 times and not blitzed 22. So, if you're South Carolina, you've blitzed more than you have not, right? Yes. According to this. And I think that would match our eyes. Like, I recall a lot of blitzes, too. So, you're blitzing over 50% of the time, but you're not getting meaningful pressure 50% of the time. You want those numbers to be more even. Yeah, and I, I think it's kind of like, you know how when we, you know how we go to like recruiting camps, and it's one on one, and then the defender, the edge guy, kind of wins the rep, but doesn't really win the the rep, and then um, the offensive lineman says, "Oh, I got him," and the edge yeah. guy's like, "No, I I got there, I got there." It felt like time after time. Like, it wasn't that the rush was getting stonewalled or anything. It was like they were just barely not getting there, even when South Carolina was rushing four. It's like you could see the edge pressure about to get there, and then he gets the ball out just in time. So it's kind of one of those, like, game of, of milliseconds type thing where if you're on the good side of that, you're saying, oh, I pressured him all night. If you're on the bad side of that, and di- different quarterbacks handle that different ways. Some quarterbacks just feel the pocket about to cave in, and it affects them. To Mert's credit, I thought there were a lot of times where the pocket was about to create, about to cave in, and he got the ball out and, and gave them a chance. Um, I mean, this the very first sequence of – Florida's drive that ended up being the game-winning drive. South Carolina has three great reps. And, I mean, three great reps. There's pressure. There's coverage. Everybody does their job. You're sitting there. There's two two minutes and 21 seconds or so left. And you're saying one more play, and everybody's going to the locker room to celebrate. And then you you get beat down the field on a one on one jump ball, um, you know for for a first down. And so you can pick like ten plays that that match that very thing. But um, the beauty and the difficulty of football is that it's really truly never any one thing. It's always some huge combination of all the things we're talking about. I, I got asked today, Wes, to that point. When you look at the defense, give me and it's a fair question. And I, I'm almost frustrated that I can't answer it, but I don't feel like I can. What is the main problem? Is what I was asked. Right? Because and we do like we want to find solutions thing. It's another like we're I feel like we're doing psych, psychoanalysis on the show. Like we want to find the one thing. What is the problem? And I think we try to simplify a game that's incredibly complex you know you got 22 people in the field doing all different things all trying to fight each other you know on every single play so it's a complex game I don't like when coaches say football is a very simple game no it's not it's not simple at all a lot of things have to go right 55 things can go right on one play one can go wrong and you lose you know um I got asked, what's the main problem with the defense? Is it coaching? Is it scheme? Is it talent? And it's like, man, that's hard to answer. Like, it, you can point to different things, even within that one game against Florida, and you could probably point to every single one of them in certain instances. Ultimately, given, Wes, that this is a results-based business, if at some indeterminate point, that we don't really know, maybe the end of this season, maybe next season, whatever, if the results are not good enough, the overall body of work, sometimes that necessitates change, right? Even if it is a variety of factors, and it often is, ultimately there, there has to be you know, a responsible party, so to speak. Um, 
but it's not as easy to say. We can't just say uh, it's just the scheme they ran, right? Because some of the personnel things that we have talked about all year going into the season, during the season, they were an issue on Saturday. Some of the depth issues we talk about, they were an issue. Some of the injury issues were an issue. We can talk about coaching or scheme or what you're asking your guys to do. Should you be asking them to do that? So incredibly complex game, and it's kind of difficult to just narrow it down to just say, it's, it's just this. You know, that's kind of a social media, like, hot takey thing. You know, just it's just this. Again, ultimately, the coaches are responsible for it. But, man, there's just we've just seen so much from this defense that needs to get corrected and cleaned up, and I think it's in all areas. Uh, unfortunately, in some cases, I think uh, – and, and this is not to say guys can't get better. This is not to say they're not capable. And this is not to throw anybody under the bus. It's just a totality of the thing. You remember what Dow Loggins said about some spots at off on offense. Some I think right now Carolina has had some areas where they've been just good enough to get beat. It's not it's not that it's not that you're just getting whipped, like you're just getting beat at the point of attack. It's not that you don't belong on the field. Like all all these guys that are playing right now are SEC football players. But when they're facing elite talent at times or a, above average SEC talent at times, you're just getting beat in that one-on-one situation. And it's just a few too many times right now, I think, for the defense. Like, in a weird way, they're, like, not that far off. But in a weird way, they're consistently just far enough off to make the enough plays, if that makes any yeah. sense at all. Well, it does. I mean, go back to your three great plays in a row. Yeah. These, these aren't busts, Chris. These four. are not just – Three great plays in a row, and the fourth you played well. You just got beat one-on-one. And, again, margin for error, you don't have enough. Like, there, there may be a game this season, Wes, where you have a similar type of game. And can South Carolina be the one to make one more play to where you have the same game? You could play the same game and one team makes one more play and they were on the wrong side of it. And that is one issue. You want to be a team. It's all about like decrease, like eliminating, expanding your margins, I guess. I couldn't come up with the word, couldn't spit it out. Like you want to have more wiggle room. South Carolina doesn't right now. And so that's why every single play, every sequence is kind of like hyper intense with how we dive into it. Well, and you know what? I think, man, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say, hey, this defender played great and just you know, I'm not gonna lie about it. But at the same time, people wanna people wanna pick on Nick E right now. The fourth and ten, I mean He's in one-on-one coverage with a blitz in front of him. He stays with his guy stride for stride. Like, this – I'm looking at it right now. I would put it on the screen, but we'll get a copyright notice. He's there. Now, you know, you you want him to be able to make a little bit – like a slightly little bit better timing on making a play on the ball, the final step, getting in there or getting his hands even once Pearsall has his hands on the ball, you want to get your hand or arm up in between, you know, his hands. But for a guy who really was was a true safety last year, playing in one-on-one coverage against their best receiver, it's not like he just got beat, like, you know, by three steps. He's right there. And it's just that little the little tiny distance between a winning play and a not winning play in this situation. And then Florida makes the play. They reset their down. So then they relax a little bit and kind of keep it going. So it, it, I know how frustrated the fans are. I know how frustrated it can be to watch, frustrating it can be to watch. I can only imagine how frustrating it is 
for the kids themselves, like, yeah, uh, and for the coaches. So I think we all got to be careful, man. Like, we can talk about the game. We can talk about the issues. Nobody's going to sit here and say, oh, that was a great play if it wasn't. But, you know, these guys are trying their absolute tails off as well. And he's right, he's right there on the guy. Um, just didn't quite finish the play. There's a lot of plays on here, man, that just were not quite finished, I, I think, is a good way to say it. What did you what did you make of the issue on the PAT? Because I, I had somebody in front of me say like the, the PAT, the miss there, um basic was it a bad snap or bad hold? Honestly, I have not gotten a good enough second look at it to say one way or the other. And okay, either, really we, didn't really have a great sense live. We we won't put it on anybody there specifically because we don't know. But guy in front of me says, uh, you know, that that's the difference in the game. That you know that costs us the game. And I started trying to do the butterfly effect thing of, and so so that Trey says bad snap. That was either everything in terms of sort of affecting the game, and yet another example of there's one play that kind of cost you, or it was nothing. Because if Florida responds and hits their two-point conversion, then it's nothing. It's the exact same, basically. I'm saying if you if you have good snap, good hold, good kick, you're up by 11, they go down, they get a two. Now it's a three-point game, and it's the exact same situation. However, you start playing this thing out, South Carolina would then have been up 38 to 27. Let's say Florida goes down. They score their touchdown. They go for two. They don't get it. Now you're up 38 to 33. So then when Florida scores their next touchdown, you're now in a position to kick a field goal. We know South Carolina got the ball back without being in a spot to kick a field goal. Well, Florida then, they would have been up after their touchdown 38 to 39. And they would have gone for two again to chase the points. And if they got it, you'd be kicking a field goal to tie. If they missed it, you'd be kicking a field goal to win, which becomes obviously a completely different scenario for your offense, knowing you need three versus knowing you need, you know, a touchdown. So, so that missed opportunity, either depending on what would have happened next, we'll never know either meant absolutely nothing or it meant a ton, just like Florida being able to get a two point conversion because you had an offsides on a PAT. That's a forgotten play in all this. Yep. They South Carolina, Florida kicks the PAT early in the game. It's completely okay with not chasing the points at that point in the game. And then what happens? You have a offsides. They say, you know what? We're half the distance now. We're going to go for it. And they go ahead and get the two. Yep. I I agree with both of those points, Wes, for sure. I have no disagreements. I just cannot take my mind off of take everything else out and just play the game out just like it was played out, get off the field on one of those fourth downs where you were in position. I mean, that, that's that's the bottom line to me. And I, and I think – we can go back to either of those plays that you mentioned, especially I think the uh, the the snap right. That one could have end up ended up playing into it even more, but just as it is, the two fourth downs, those are hard to swallow. Those are really really hard to swallow. I, heck, I think what would have happened if uh, Eugene Wilson the third Trey Wilson didn't didn't catch the other ball? That was on a first down. I think that ended up being a twenty two yard gain. You know, maybe they're in second and ten there. Maybe, maybe Graham Mertz fumbles. Maybe he throws a pick. Maybe they get to fourth down again, and South Carolina finally gets a stop. Right? You, you just never know. Uh, 
I tend to put it a little bit more on those offensive sequences where you don't get off the field in those critical situations. Yeah, I mean, when that ball goes in the air, I'm instantly thinking pick. When a ball yep. flies up like that, yep. it, we've, we've all watched enough football to know there's no rhyme or reason to where the thing's landing, you know? Well, and, and there was another – there was one that was not that close. I feel like uh, there's one that got batted and D.Q. Smith ended up being a, a yard or two around it, and he dove kind of late. Like, wasn't – it's not like it went off his hands, right? It wasn't that close of a play. But even – you just look at a play like that. Like, what if they could have gotten that pick, right? And he had some room to run. I mean – you know, just a couple weird things that happened, a couple uncharacteristic things that happened, and then, unfortunately, some characteristic things that happened, right? Just having some some balls that, you know, you get beat on. And, and we've seen that a few times this season. We've seen it in some um, in some difficult spots for South Carolina. For sure, man. We're, uh, we're getting close to the end, but I, I do want to talk about Jalewis Solomon. I do want to talk about one other thing from the game as well. And then, of course, we'll move on as the week goes on. But first, going to tell you about our friends at Liberty Tax. Give them a call now, 803-462-5576. If, uh, it may not be tax time right now, but maybe you've had some life changes. Maybe you own a small business. Maybe you got a side gig and you want to know how all that works. Um, it can be complicated. Everybody, if you have a side gig and you have a 1099, you're supposed to do prepaid taxes and all this other stuff. You're going to want somebody who can help walk you through the process. And uh, Larry and his team at Liberty Tax can do just that. Uh, do what Chris did and call him, 803-462-5576. Uh, shout out to Larry for always taking care of us here on GC Live. Um, I am a little bit surprised, again, not picking on anybody, but I'm a little surprised on the Marcellus Dial shade from – our comments because uh, not our comments, but from comment section. Cell has not had a bad year by any means. Um, matter of fact, he's probably one of South Carolina's higher graded players on defense. I, I think, think he was the only guy that uh, Ricky Pearsall didn't get a catch against. Honestly, West, they, I think some of that was scheme, right? But he didn't have any targets against Marcellus dial. They probably kind of avoided Dial with where they were putting him. But that also, I think, says something about Marcellus because Ricky Pearsall is their, is their number one receiver. Yeah, Cell in – we'll lean on PFF again. In, uh, what, six – yeah, six games. He's given up uh, – He's been targeted 29 times and has allowed just 17 catches um, for 239 yards, and he graded out as a 69.7, which is uh, – 60 is kind of like average. Like, you didn't do anything good. You didn't do anything bad. So, um, you know, that's, that's not an elite grade necessarily, but that's not not a bad grade whatsoever, especially considering – some of the other issues that you've seen on, uh, you know, on defense. Um, I guess we need – there's more to get to in the game, man, but we need to hit some recruiting. Jalewis Solomon making his uh, – I think you can fairly say anticipated commitment to South Carolina on Sunday. We didn't necessarily know when he decommitted from Auburn when the following commitment might be, but uh, the Gamecocks get a big one, dude. I mean – we talked about him in the summer when we thought he was going to be in the class. This is a guy you need. And this is a guy, I think, frankly, you look at some of these issues in the secondary, he's going to at least have an opportunity, if he takes advantage of it, to come in and, and play early, I would think. Yeah, and this is a guy, Wes, we've, we've talked so much about nickel. I, we got to talk more about nickel this week. Let, let's do that. Can we have a nickel show on Wednesday, maybe, I think? Uh, but Jalua Solomon, to me, has the skill set to where I don't know for sure that he'll slot, they'll slot them, him there, but he could, right? You look at his size, his skill set. This is a guy that could play receivers, special teams, a special teams returner, or probably most places in the secondary if you really wanted. And I think when you look at his size and skill set, he kind of fits in to be in a corner or a nickel type 
physical dude, speedy dude, just a football player. South Georgia, just football player, and um, really like his skill set. This is a this is a big pickup. And Wes, you look at now at this DB class, right? So we know, and you could say this for almost any spot. You can look at what they have in the recruiting class in the high school ranks, and then you could say they got to hit the transfer portal, right? This is going to be a big portal year, and I think we're going to see that even at DB. But they got Kelvin Hunter now, who's like a safety or nickel type, four-star guy. You got Braden Lee, who they like as a corner, four-star guy. And now uh, you look at David Busey, right, who's probably that – what a, isn't he a safety nickel type, they think he is, at South Carolina. Not as highly ranked of a player, but just a, a, a really good football player at the high school level. And now you've added Solomon to that. So you're building a nice high school class that I think they'll supplement with the portal, but some guys that, you know, could help early, whether it's on special teams or in the secondary. And Wes, you still got some guys on the roster, I think, that you could develop too. But that's conversation for another day. Jalewis Solomon, big pickup for the Gamecocks. Yeah, no doubt, man. Um, I just like the versatility. And you throw on his film – He's out there, like, within the first few plays. He's making a diving catch at wide receiver, um, making people miss. Later on, he makes a – if you stick it out and watch the full film from his midseason senior year thing, making a one-handed grab downfield. Like, he has some – he has ball skills. He has receiver ball skills, honestly. So, I like a guy – having a guy like that on defense that can go do things that – um you know, can kind of put you over the top and give you that edge when when the ball's in the air. Um, it, there's a little bit of – I don't think they're similar players necessarily. Um, you know, Kilgore is bigger, I guess, but I think there's a little bit of similarities to like a Jalen Kilgore or Vakari Swain just to the fact that these are these are Georgia boys. They're like kind of do everything for their team. They – they make an impact on offense. They make an impact on defense. Um, they're, they're, they just have so much to their game. And I, I think that adds quite a bit of um, value to you as a prospect when you can say, hey, even if it doesn't work out at, a, at one spot, I could maybe help you at another one. And um, so I think for Solomon, there's a reason this kid had offers from all over the place. Um, you know, remember Florida State early on was heavily pursuing him, and it looked like it was going to come down to Florida State and South Carolina. Like his whole list for the entire process was like loaded with blue chip programs. So, um, for for a lot of reasons, I, I think this is a big pickup for South Carolina. And I, man, I think Eamon Worry, DQ Smith, Jalen Kilgore, like that's still a really good grouped that's a good core to build off of if you're kind of talking about your safety types i think the thing you really have to solve is just who who's going to be your nickel which again we'll talk about that a ton down the you know down the road and then kind of looking past your older players who are currently on campus at corner who's going to be your number one like who's going to be that lockdown cornerback that can go out there and, and be a pure cover guy if you're going to keep playing man coverage if, if you don't have that guy you don't have those guys you do probably have to think more along the lines of being a little bit more of a zone cover team I think yeah and th and there's some guys and Travis making a good point about DB I mean you've got some young guys that are continuing to develop you know even I mean I think we think of Nick even and DQ Smith kind of lump them into like oh they played you know 40 games here they haven't you know and um there's some things to figure out from a personnel and a usage standpoint. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, but you've got some guys on the roster that haven't factored in that could. Again, let, let's caution. Uh, let's point to Xavier Leggett, right? And there, there's not a lot of Xavier Leggett's on the roster right now, of course. But there are guys, at, at even at DB, that have talent, that have not shown up yet in games, that will probably show up in games. And you can't give up on guys – when they're sophomores, you can't, you certainly can't give up on guys when they're freshmen. Right. And they haven't really factored in yet. That is also the case at DB. So a lot more to track there uh, going forward. 
No doubt. All right, y'all. We are out of time, but uh, appreciate it. As always, appreciate y'all hanging in there. Um, we'll have Mike Uva's show tomorrow. Then on Wednesday, Chris and I will be back in. And, uh, hey, we're going to hear from Loggins and Clayton White. So both those guys will talk about what they saw from their units um, this past week and, and going into Missouri, which tough test, man, really tough test. But we'll see if they can bounce back and, uh, you know, do what they've done the last couple of years, and that's win some games that uh, people didn't expect them to. The only difference here, this one on the road, man. So two tough road contests. Gamecock's going to have to find a way to try and somehow split these two, even though, you know, it's going to be a tough hill to climb, I think. But we got plenty more time later on to get to that. That's it for today. For Chris, I'm Wes. We'll see you all soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.